The following program is brought to you by Blood, Sweat, Tears, and listeners like you. To support this show and all of the shows within Twib Nation, consider becoming a subscriber of our pay service, The Twibularity, at twib.me forward slash subscribe. That's twib.me forward slash subscribe. Or you can give a one-time donation at donate.twib.me. That's donate.twib.me. We've all learned how important media is and who tells our stories. Help us be the media that you want to hear and that the media is afraid to hear. It's kind of hard to listen to yourself become irrelevant. You are now listening to Twib FM. Real talk, <laughs> real awesome. Finally, I'm finally free. Finally, I'm finally me. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host. Thank you for tuning in. This is the show to listen to live, especially if you are a comic book fan. We have a fantastic panel of comic book artists, writers, illustrators. So if you are listening live, uh, please join in on the podcast by jumping in on Twitter. The hashtag is BGN Podcast. That allows you to listen in live with our guests and you can ask questions, you can leave comments, and I'll be sure to address as many as I can on the air. Also, um, if you want to call in and speak to the guests, you can call in via TWIB. It's 718-404-9320. And then we also have our uh, TWIB user room on TWIB.fm where you can join in the live chat there and converse with the other TWIB users. So... Um, our guests on our fantastic, amazing panel that we have are Jimmy Robinson, Dr. Sheena C. Howard, Aletha Martinez, Brandon Easton, and Ashley A. Woods. Before I get to our guests and introduce each of them, I do want to make several announcements. As you know, this week coming up is New York Comic Con. Also, New York Super Week is kicking off tomorrow. So Black Girl Nerds is involved in a plethora of events. I'm going to read through this as quickly as possible. Uh, Tuesday, October 6th, Black Girl Nerds versus the Fan Bros Show podcast. That's going to be at Benzaquin Hall. And that is located in the Diamina Center. Hopefully I got that pronunciation right. The tickets for that are $8, uh, so check us out at that event. It starts at 7.15 p.m. Also on Tuesday, October 6th, friend of the show, former BGM podcast guest, Regine Sawyer, she's got an event through Women in Comics New York City Collective that she's the founder of, also Lock It Down Productions. Um, they are doing an event for New York Super Week called Women in Comics New York City Collective Presents she an exhibition of women comic book artists, that's on October the 6th. That starts at 5.30, goes until 8.30, and that is located at La Casa Azul Bookstore. Um, so check that out. And for New York Comic Con, if you've got your badge, you're ready to go, um, I will be on three panels. So check those out. You get an opportunity. Three panels are She Made Me Do It, Fangirls Lead the Way, From Blackface to Black Panther, and also Women in Geek Media. 
And if you don't have a badge, but you really want to check out um, what we are doing and meet me and meet so many of us that are a part of the Black Girl Nerds community, we are having a meetup on Saturday night. It's at the Pioneers Bar and Lounge located at 138 West 29th Street between 6th and 7th Avenues. Uh, so that starts at 9.30 p.m. No badge is required. No cover. It's absolutely free. Have fun. Join us. Uh, we will have someone there to meet and greet you. And uh, we look forward to, to seeing you. There's a lot of folks that have RSVP'd on Facebook. That's where you can go. Uh, Black Girl Nerds, uh, excuse me, Facebook.com forward slash Black Girl Nerds is where you can go to RSVP that event. And also that's where you can go to check out the other events that I just mentioned, the Fan Bros podcast and also the Women in Comics New York City collective event. And then finally, at the main floor at New York Comic Con at the Javits Center, on booth 2444 is Afrofuture Fest. Afrofuture Fest is a group of black comic artists, animators, filmmakers, and writers that are coming together for New York Comic Con. So check out that as well. All right, so I'm going to get to our guests. Jimmy Robinson is a comic book creator known for writing and drawing the comic book series Bomb Queen and for other works, including Amanda and Gunn, Avagon, Evil and Malice, and Five Weapons, most of which have been published by Image Comics. In 2013 and 14, Robinson produced Five Weapons, and in 2015, he began publishing The Empty, a science fiction story in which two unlike women set out together to save a dying world. He received an Inkpot Award, which I witnessed, we were sitting right next to each other when it happened, over at San Diego Comic-Con this year. Dr. Sheena C. Howard is the chair of the Black Caucus and the assistant professor of communication at Ryder University. Howard is an award-winning author, including being the first Black woman to win an Eisner Award for her first book, Black Comics, Politics of Race and Representation. She is also the author of Black Queer Identity Matrix and Critical Articulations of Race, Gender, and Sexual Orientation. And this is her second appearance on the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Aletha Martinez is a penciler and inker and has worked on Marvel's Iron Man and NBC's Heroes tie-ins. She is currently working on a self-published work for Archie Comics. And in the 90s, she worked as an assistant to Joe Quesada, on Azrael and Ash and Daredevil, then as an inker's assistant on Aquaman, and she got her first headlining role as an artist on Iron Man, then moved on to X-Men, Black Sun, Marvel Age, Fantastic Four, Black Panther, and Voltron. Brandon Easton is a professional writer, screenwriter, and educator, and is mainly known for his work on Warner Brothers' animation reboot of the Thundercats series, as well as critical acclaim for his work in the comic book industry. Easton is the producer and writer and director of Brave New Black Sci-Fi and Fantasy Writers of the 21st Century, a documentary that addresses the issues of race and representation in comic book industry, genre publishing, and Hollywood. And he is currently a series writer for ABC's Agent Carter. And finally, Ashley A. Woods is an illustrator, comic book, and storyboard artist, creator, writer, and also known for her work on Niobe as an interior artist. Niobe features writer Sebastian Jones and Hunger Games actress Amanda Stenberg as writers. Thank you guys for coming on the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. All right. So I'm going to start in that order um, with Jimmy. Um, we had the pleasure of meeting one another. I'd mentioned in the bio, I sat right next to you when you won that Inkpot Award at San Diego Comic-Con. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, yes. And 
you know, we shared a panel about the celebration of your work. So I want to start by asking you, how did you get started in comics? Well, I just started by self-publishing my own work, and uh, eventually, I guess I got noticed that way, and uh, Image picked me up. I'm making this really short. <laughs> and um, I've, I've just been with Image ever since, you might say. I, I had a couple of uh, runs with Marvel, but uh, yeah, mostly I just got in there and did it myself. I, I had my own style and stuff, and I didn't think anyone would pick it up. I, I just wasn't drawing in a house style at the time. Uh, I mean, in the 90s, you know, Marvel DC, you really had to kind of draw like Marvel DC. It's, you know, things have changed now, but back then it was not the case. So, And I also wanted to tell my own stories, and I had characters that I wanted to uh, work with. Nice, nice. And Aletha, uh, you've done work on so many comics, as I mentioned in your very impressive bio. Um, you've done NBC's Heroes tie-ins. Will we see anything from you on Heroes Reborn that recently premiered? And what inspired you to create um, your own title, Human Ever? Never. Well, no, I haven't been tapped for anything on Heroes Reborn. It's for my own work, Human Ever. It was very much what Jimmy said. I wanted to tell my own story. I've been telling other people's story for 16 years, and I decided at some point it's time for me to do what I came into comics to do in the first place, was to tell my own story. So I started Yumi and Ever, and I also have another title, Foreign, which is a novel with pictures in it. Wow. Nice. Um, now, where can we find um, some of your books? Are you still having books that are being printed, or are these books that we can find online? Where can we find your work? Well, aside from the work I do for companies with Zeppelin, Amazon, everywhere else, I only sell at conventions right now for myself because... We're, my little company, Eric Storm Productions, we actually print and bind the novel for and ourselves in the house. So all of the books we make for that, we hand make. And comic books, of course, I have to buy from outsiders. So right now it's small. I'm trying to keep it within myself like a hobby. So my day job pays for my hobby, which is more drawing. So I mostly just sell at cons. Like this week coming up, I'll be at NYCC at table age 15, hawking my wares. <laughs> And Dr. Howard, um, you, as I mentioned before, you're a previous guest on our podcast, and, and we welcome you back. Thank you. Um, yes, I'm glad we didn't scare you away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, since the last time you were on our show, though, you won an Eisner Award for your book, Black Comics, Politics of Race and Representation, um, and then also the Black Queer Identity Matrix. Um, and you're the first Black woman to win it, win it so con congratulations to that. Tell us about your experience winning the coveted award, and how has it been received so far? Um, well, it was pretty surreal. Um, and the category that I won in best academic uh, slash scholarly work is a fairly new category. Um, and I, since I'm coming at this from an academic perspective and trying to document um, history, I was just happy to be nominated and to be there. I totally, I didn't expect to get nominated, but I didn't expect to, to win. So I was totally um, uh, blindsided uh, by the fact that I actually did win an Eisner. And then when it came out about a week later that, you know, no black female, and I'm pretty sure no woman of color uh, had ever won an Eisner. Um, it was, it was a pretty big deal. Um, I think the book today is still picking up momentum. People are just 
finding out about it. People that we've actually wrote about in the book are just um, finding finding out about it. Felipe Smith, one of them, he, he hit me up on Twitter. He just found out that we, you know, dedicated a whole chapter um, to his work. So I think that, you know, since I don't have like a marketing budget, it's just getting out there by word of mouth slowly um, but surely. And it's still doing well. Congrats again on that. Thank you. And Brandon, you are now a series writer for ABC's hit series, Agent Carter, that did so well. I'm so glad that they decided to pick it up. Um, tell us how you landed the gig, and will we expect more diversity on the show now that the writer's room has become a bit more diverse? Uh, yeah, I uh, got on Agent Carter through the Disney ABC Writers Program. Uh, last year, I was one of eight people who won out of 1,500 applicants. And me being one of the eight, I was the only person that happened to be a genre person. The rest of my cohorts are not into comics or genre material, science fiction or anything. So I was kind of the odd man out in the room. And then since Disney owns uh, Marvel the, you know, and Marvel Studios and so forth and so on, uh, there were very few shows I actually wanted to work on. And being in the ABC writing program, you have your choice of ABC, ABC Family, Disney XD, and the Disney Channel. And out of all those channels, the only two shows I actually cared about was Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agent Carter. And it turned out that my one of my mentors, Michelle Fazekas, is one of the uh, co-producers or showrunners of the show, executive producer, that is. And I expressed my desire, and after they checked out my samples and so forth and so on, I ended up becoming a staff writer on season two of uh, Agent Carter. Nice. And Ashley, uh, you were recently featured under our Comics Creators You Should Know series. Uh, thank you for allowing us to interview you. Uh, tell us about your latest project, Niobe, written by Hunger Games actress Amanda Stenberg. Well, um, originally I was brought on to the project as a cover artist. I first met Amandala and Sebastian at BCAF or Black Comics Arts Festival in San Francisco. This is back in January. And so initially Sebastian asked me to be the cover artist. And of course I said yes. And um, I want to say six, seven months later in July, he, I guess, decided to go out on a limb and ask me to draw all of the, actually fully illustrate all of the interiors. And so I said yes to that. And um you wanted to know what, what the project is about? Yeah, tell us about what Niobe's project is about as well. It's almost like a dark fantasy. Um, it deals a lot with uh, darker themes like uh, true evil, uh, whatever that could be. You know, that would be defined in the book, um, the devil. Uh, basically, Niobe, she's the last illegitimate child of the king of the land that she resides in. The name, the name of the universe is Asunda. And so the king wants to kill her. Um, I can't give that reason uh, away, but what gives her away uh, while she's trying to stay in hiding is her eyes. Um, that connects her and, and that gives her away. You know, she has one hazel eye and one blue eye. And so the king enlisted uh, a vampire named Asena. And so she's almost like a mercenary type character. So Asena is working with the king's men and, you know, his army and all of that to find Niobe and either, you know, kill her on the spot or maybe bring her back. Um, either way, he, he wants her caught. 
And so she's basically trying to evade him. And at the same time, she's trying to figure out her morals. You know, uh, she's uh, working out her moral compass uh, because you can be uh, essentially a, a good person at heart, but you don't really know where to set your morals or, or base them in. You know, so she's trying to figure out her feelings and her emotions and, you know, all of that while trying to stay alive and um, being epic at the same time, you know, so I'm very excited about the project. Um, it's it's a really good uh, story. So, yes, I I remember when Sebastian Jones approached me about um, Niobe earlier uh, this year, and it's amazing to see how much it's blown up, and everybody on social media and all of these online websites are talking about it. Um, so yes, it's it's definitely something you guys should check out. Uh, Jimmy, I, I wanted to ask you because I saw you mention this on Twitter. Uh, you recently uh, you pitched a new story to Image. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? And uh, also, yeah, tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I just <laughs> if you pitched, can. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I you guys might be the first, one of the first to hear. Um, I pitched a new uh, series to Image uh, this week. It was approved, so it'll be out in March 2016. It's called Power Lines. Uh, I get to discuss and address issues of race, social economic class, and stuff like that on a kind of a superhero platform of sorts. Uh, the long and skinny is there's this black kid in the Richmond, California rough neighborhood called the Iron Triangle. And there's this really uh, uh, nice town, you might say the upper nice white neighborhood of Benicia, California. And the, uh, uh, there's a person from each neighborhood actually can tap into this type of energy and become powerful, but they could only do it in each other's neighborhoods. So the black guy can only be powerful in the white neighborhood. And this middle-aged white woman can only be powerful in the black neighborhood. And so I get to address all these situations, you know, not in my backyard kind of thing and uh, race and media and social class and all that. And then there's a third party in there that gets it all together where they fight together as a common against a common threat, you might say. But yeah, it's called Power Lines, and um, I just kind of wanted to do step out and do something different. I've, I've, I've always done unique things one way or another, but nothing that truly hit the nail on the head. <laughs> and I've always, you know, been that kind of guy who wanted to just be the comic book artist, not the black comic book artist. <laughs> but, right. things have but things have changed a lot lately. And, you know, with Dwayne McDuffie passing away and all, and then uh, talking to Ron Wimberly uh, and all, it just kind of, I'm, I'm like, you know what, I, I got something to say here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I don't need to do, do just another fantasy sci-fi kind of weird thing that doesn't address, I'm like, I, I think I can, I think I can address this at this point in my career. And, you know, whatever is said is said. And I'm, I'm not going to, you know be concerned about any backlash or anything like the black guys now talking about black issues <laughs> 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 in comic books and all that stuff <laughs> so uh you know and, and they the image is completely hands-off and uh yeah it's it should be pretty cool uh, uh it'll only be six issues i mean there is no answer to you know there's no cute answer to, you know, the racial divide in our country. So I'm not going to try and tie it all up in a little bow and all that. I'm just going to put it out there, open up the discussion, present, you know, some things to uh, address. 
I think that's very timely considering all of the things that have been happening in the news and all of these social justice issues that have arisen. Um, so it's good to be able to see these kind of comics coming out. Yeah, yeah. And I also wanted to ask you, too, about Amanda Shane from CyberZone and Amanda and the Gun. Um, will we see her character in any current or future projects? Because that was a pretty compelling character that you created. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that was uh, the character that started me off. Um, Amanda Shane, the black lesbian sci-fi bounty hunter of sorts. She, <laughs> uh, 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 that's what I self-published for eight issues, which Image took note of and picked me up. And that's what was spun off into Amanda and Gunn, uh, which was kind of another sci-fi thing. But yeah, um, I, I like Amanda. And she appears in... She appears in the empty, to be honest, <laughs> uh, which I just, which I just, I mean, that's a big giveaway there, but that series just ended and the trade just came out this week, the trade collection. And I think there's going to be an Italian foreign license for that and all that. Uh, she, she appeared there as Dr. Amanda Shane because she's always been, there's always been a back story to her because I've always had this whole clone thing with who really is Amanda Shane. And uh, in this in this persona, she's kind of Doctor Amanda Shane, and she works at uh, this uh, science lab. But yeah, it's um really cool, and I I like that character. I've always it, and to be honest, that character is really based a lot on my mother, who uh, 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 as as a single mother just raised me, and she's always been an inspiration to me. And uh, it's uh, that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, I, I really like the. I, I'll come back to Amanda Shane. I really would like to uh, finish up Amanda and Gunn, to be honest. I kind of left a few uh, questions hanging on that series. I think a lot of people would like to see that, especially now with you know just seeing so much LGBT uh, yeah. diversity happening in comics. So that would be awesome. Yeah, that was um, um, that character uh, Cyberzone and Amanda and Gunn got me on the gays in comics panel as the token straight guy <laughs> for, for two years in a row at San Diego Comic-Con. I mean, so, you know, it's like I, I had enough of a following because of the character alone that, you know, it didn't matter whether I was gay or not, uh, that, you know, I, I got invited to that. And it's, it's, it's just, it's a great community, the gay community, everybody, you know, uh, and it's, they're, Everyone's just people, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I, I will return to Amanda Shane. Uh, I will return to Bomb Queen as well. Other things, blah blah blah. I I've, I have a lot of things on my plate. The problem is, it's just me doing it, and I can only do one at a time. <laughs> well, representation matters, and and speaking of that, Aletha Martinez, um, as a woman of color. You've been working in comics for decades. Um, you've done so much work that's been impressive and that's left an indelible print um, in the industry. Uh, what was the atmosphere like on the commercial level? Because you weren't working for, you know, indie small comic book publishers. You were working for the big two. Um, so is there glass ceiling um, working at the bigger, higher level commercial publishing um, companies? Or do you feel like now it's, it's getting a little better? I never felt there was a glass ceiling. It was just sort of a lack of others. That's all. It's about the talent you bring to the work, and that's it. You don't get judged on anything else. But I did find there was a silence, and that's always been maintained to this day, whereas I have a workhorse. I just get onto the next project, what I'm supposed to do, and get off before anyone realized I was there. And it kind of makes it so every time I do a new project, I knew 
it's very funny. I was listening to another podcast, and it was about the Archie book that recently came out. And they're like, oh, yeah, I think she inked Iron Man. Something like that. Yeah, it's, it's lovely that they give new people a chance. Like, well, <laughs> wow. at, least you're, at least you're always fresh, you know? You're always there. It's been 16 years, but someone's always rediscovering you. Like, yeah, what did she work on? When I was on Batgirl, it was like, oh, what was she on over there? Oh, yes. She was doing this little thing here for our girl. Isn't that lovely? So every new project, you're brand new. It's never, I was never announced. I was never, oh, look at this big shiny artist here. No, it's just you're constantly there. And thank God I've been able to do this for quite so long because I tell you, it's grueling work. Do you feel that sometimes you have to fly under the radar just so that you're not making too much noise and that, like you say, continue to be a workhorse and, you know, be able to have that job security? Um, or do you feel like now we're in a time where, you know what, I, I need to say this. I'm a woman in comics and I feel like that there needs to be more diversity here and I need to speak up about these issues and, and say that this is a, you know, a boys club and that there's something wrong with that. Do, do you find that that's hmm. something that you know, by flying under the radar, that it's safer that way? No, not necessarily. It's just like it doesn't come up for me. By the time I get a script, I'm doing as I'm told. No one asks me my opinion or, hey, what do you think of this? Or do you think this should be this way? I get the script and I finish the script and I turn it in and move on. I wish I was asked more, hey, what do you think should be here? But I'm not a writer for comics. I write for myself. I guess that's why I turn to my own work if I have something extra I want to express because I'm from that very old school where you do as you're told. And you find that when you interject things into projects, you might not be there that long because ah. you have to do it the Marvel way, you have to do it the DC way, you have to do it the NBC way. They're not asking for Lisa Martinez's way. And exactly where do you fit in? I don't want to be known as that woman who drew a few comics. I want to be known as an artist who held my own until the end of my career, and that was it. And I'm willing to have others come. I looking now and seeing everyone wants this diversity it started up a few years ago they're looking for diversity looking for reflections of themselves and these characters and i always say well what do you expect these characters are 50 60 70 75 years old look at the time they were created they reflected mm. their creators at that time if we want something to reflect us now we have to have new you have to have new and different you have to look and support what is new and different not just say well why can't you colorize a classic for me and then make a story around it that I will like. Nice. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, and, and that's about race bending characters and the recent uh, changes that have been happening with Thor being a woman and, and things of that nature. Oh, don't nature. get me started on that. Don't do that to me. <laughs> How dare they? they take my Thor for me? Do you not see what they gave me in Avengers and they take my Thor for me and make him a woman? How could they do that? Oh, don't get me started. Don't, get me, don't let me get on it. Somebody take another question. Thank you. <laughs> well, I will move to um, to Dr. Howard. Um, I, I do want to get back to that conversation, though. Um, but Dr. Howard, it seems that more creator-owned comics from publishers like Image feature stories with queer characters and queer characters of color. Um, comics like that I'm reading currently, Wicked and the Divine, um, has queer characters of color, also Bitch Planet. Um, do you think that more LGBTQ characters are being represented in comics? And are there enough LGBTQ creators in comics that are telling their own stories? Um, 
I think that we still would like to see more LGBTQ characters, of course, um, particularly a lot of the characters um, that are, you know, gay or lesbian or on the queer spectrum spectrum have fleeting identities. Um, so when it comes to sexual orientation and or gender identity, um, I'm thinking about characters who we may be reading that we might say, ah, he seems like, you know, he might be a little gay or they might hint towards it. Um, but then they, they move away. So I'm thinking about, you know, they had Iceman come out as gay and it was a, a previous series around the nineties where they hinted to the fact that he might be gay. Um, I'm thinking about Mystique, who, you know, is in love with a female, but has all these, uh, you know, male, uh, male counterparts that she has uh, interest in. Um, so I would like to see, you know, some characters who don't have um, these fleeting identities around sexual orientation uh, and gender identity. I think some of the um, smaller publishers outside of, of course, uh, the big two um, can be new and different because they're not dealing with the same sorts of issues um, uh, and constraints that uh, DC and Marvel may be dealing with. Um, so you mentioned Bitch Planet, which is really um, through a, a more feminist lens, a more, you know, liberated mm -hmm. gender politics um, lens. Um, and I think s some of the smaller publishers are more open and willing to push those boundaries because they can, like, like it's already been mentioned here, you know, DC and Marvel have these legacy characters um, and they use them as placeholders to insert diversity when it's convenient. Um, and that's the type of thing that I don't like to see. Um, I don't think that it does the character um, or the medium um, any justice. I think a few things have to converge for us to see a gay or lesbian superhero with his or her own title without, you know, tiptoeing around the character's sexual identity or gender identity. I think one, uh, we have to get over the shock of a character even being gay. Um, I, I still right. think we're not even over, you know, we're not even able to embrace that yet um, as a public. Um, and I think two, we have to untangle our ideas of masculinity and femininity uh, as it's related to our understanding of what a superhero ought to be. Um, I think when we talk about masculinity and femininity, um, particularly as it relates to the comics industry, we're very tied to those notions of what a, uh, of what, uh, maleness or femaleness should, should look like. It's a very big part, um, of the history of, of the medium when we're talking about characters, um, as far as the writers and creators, I definitely think they're there. I mean, you know, people don't walk around, you know, with the I'm gay or I'm lesbian or I'm queer stamp. I think they're there. I think we might not always know the writers um, and the creators that are um, on the LGBTQ um, spectrum. And, of course, I'm thinking about Alison Bechdel, who's done, you know, very right. well. You know, uh, her, her graphic memoir is uh, a musical on Broadway. Uh, right now. So I think they're there. I don't, I just don't think that we always know their sexual orientation. It's not always, you know, at, at the, the forefront. Um, and I don't think if we're talking about the big two publishers that they, they have the ability to write, uh, gay or lesbian characters, um, at all. Mm. Brandon, tell us about your latest work with Joshua Wren. Um, I had saw your tweet about it and I read the, summary and i was very intrigued i love the premise because it, it reminds me a lot of the series mr robot which i have a huge addiction um too so so tell me a little bit about joshua run what's about before i get into that can i ever talk about any of these really cool social issues that i'm not being asked about 
Which ones? There's a lot. I mean, I have, you've been giving me questions. You've not given me one, like, hard question yet. And I'm, like, sitting here, like, I really have a lot to discuss in regards to all that stuff. Go ahead. All right. First, uh, with race bending, I'm going to quote Dwayne McDuffie, rest in peace, who mm-hmm. said, which fictional character is losing their job? It's like, I literally don't care if a character that's white is turned black or turned to a woman or turned gay or lesbian because ultimately the intellectual property will always revert back to the original format. So a lot of the time it's just a gimmick to grab attention. Like Thor, the, like I say the, the, the Norse Viking hair metal version of Thor that we all grew up with is still in the movies. He's still on Disney XD on the Marvel Avengers cartoons. He's still, in the direct-to-video Marvel animations. I don't know where that original hair metal Def Leppard version of Thor is going to go, but he'll be back someday. And it's like, I don't know who it, what it really changes to make a character a different race or a different color, because ultimately these are fictional characters who are not really losing jobs. You know, they'll, they'll be back. I mean, even in Secret Wars... The new version, the, new, the the comic that's currently out, there's like a Thor core, just like the Green Lantern core. Like there's plenty of Thor to go around, and Thor will be back, and Captain America, Steve Rogers will eventually be back, and you know the Asian Hulk that they have, you know Bruce Banner will be the Hulk again. You know I don't think it really changes anything. I mean it might be a short term, you know, boost for sales, or it might show some half-hearted commitment to diversity, but I think that in an independent world, there are already plenty of people of color being represented. There are plenty of gay and lesbian. Com- in fact, if you want to talk about two gay male characters at DC, they have Apollo and Midnighter who right. are on the authority. And that's been around for quite some time. And, right. I've, and I've always been stunned that that hasn't gotten more attention. You know what I mean? So that's that's my feeling on that because I don't really know what diversity actually means because if you're not hiring people of color behind the scenes, Mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter to me because I know that as a writer, speaking only as a writer, I've never been an illustrator. I have no idea what that world is like, but speaking as a writer, I know that the bar for entry for writers of color in certain companies is much higher than it is for a white writer with similar qualifications. Mm -hmm. And that I think is what really needs to be addressed because I think that you could tell a quote-unquote person of color story within the framework of a white superhero narrative. Because Superman is an alien who really is dealing with the immigrant experience. Silver Surfer is someone who has been completely marginalized from creation itself. A lot of us who have dealt with these type of issues can put our story, our narrative within the framework that already exists. You know, because we've seen people do it. So... I don't know. I mean, if they change a character, it doesn't really matter if they don't hire people behind the scenes because the hiring rates for black writers in general is abysmal. It's egregious. It's absolutely astonishingly horrible. Mm -hmm. And I know for a fact, this is not conspiracy. This is not conjecture. I know for a fact that it's deeply problematic for a black writer to get hired. It's very ridiculously difficult. Like, in order to be a black writer in Marvel and DC, you would have had to have been a Reginald Hudlin, who was an Academy mm. Award-nominated filmmaker, or John Ridley, or, you know, Felicia Henderson, who used to write television. 
you know, who was a writer at Marvel at one point in DC. I mean, when you do the math, it's like, why do you have to be Superman to write Superman? You should just be a good writer. And I think the the process for qualifying writers of color is horrible. And they always say they can't find any, but yet I made a documentary filled with them. So I don't know what's really going on behind the scenes. Wow. Um, does anybody else want to touch on that? Because that has been the most controversial thing that um, has been happening lately with respect to the creators behind the scenes and diversity, that there's just not enough. And it looks like that there has been some efforts on um, DC to push that with their creators. Um, not so much with Marvel, I've noticed, but anybody else? Because, um, I mean, you guys are have worked for them and, and you know more that's happening in the industry than I do. Um, what are your thoughts about the diversities that's happening and its lack thereof behind the scenes? I would like to add something. Um, I had mentioned in my previous Black Girl Nerds interview how I wish that um, we had more original characters besides Miles Morales and the female Thor. I mean, really, just think about it. Bottom line, what's better than having your own, you know, something original that, you know, it wasn't stemmed from anything else, you know, that came before it. Um, I, I literally, before I joined this podcast, I literally just walked into the house 10, 15 minutes prior after driving five and a half, six hours from Ohio. And I just came from SoulCon uh, at uh, OSU, Ohio State University. And I watched a few uh, independent shorts based on comic series or independent comic series. And one of them that really spoke to me was Walking With Gods. And that was created by David Banner, hip, hip hop artist, David Banner. Mm-hmm. And the opening, which was like a motion comic sequence, it was made by John Jennings. And I'm pretty sure we all know who John Jennings, Jennings is. Yes. And I was just so hyped throughout the whole you know, short film and it felt so legit. And when I say legit, it felt like you can transfer this file that we was watching from someone's computer on a projector. You can transfer that file to a, a movie screen and it would translate so seamlessly. That's how, you know, the, the, the production value was and not just the production value, because you could have great production, but like really crappy, you know, storytelling and all of that. But everything was top tier. And I felt so proud. You know, I didn't even know. uh I think John told me he was working on this project, but he works on so many projects. I can't keep up with it all, but I was so proud just to see all this, this superhero on the screen. And, you know, I just, just bottom line, there's nothing better than having your own. And Brandon is right. You know, you, you know, the, the white versions of these characters, uh, Thor and, you know, Spider-Man, what have you, those are the staples of those Care, you know, series or whatever. Um, things won't change overnight. And when I mentioned Miles Morales and the female Thor, it didn't come from a place of hate or negativity. You know, my pers- my persona, I call it how I see it, you know, and my personal preference. And I'm pretty sure a lot of people who are listening in can relate and share, you know, these same sentiments. Like, yes, we're tired of seeing recycled, you know, uh, stories and, you know, what have you. It's time for something new. Like, I'm pretty sure everyone in this podcast feels the same way. Like, you want to see something new, something fresh. So that's my two cents. Uh, Aletha, uh, can you expand on your opinion about Thor and all of the uh, gender bending and race bending that's happening now in comics? 
Which one? Yeah. Aletha. You know, I leave that stuff alone. As I said before, I don't want people to colorize my classics, tell those stories, tell me new stories. I don't understand why I can't have a new story. Why am I going to spend 14 50 to sit down and watch a movie that the same story that's been told over and over and over and over again. I don't understand why we have this conflict going back. I know if it ain't broke, don't fix it, but this is getting ridiculous now. And I feel like sometimes I'm the only one sitting there and just, you know, they said, oh, we're introducing it to a new generation. I think we all know Spider-Man's story. We don't need to hear it again. And yet, when we start it, we know what we're going to hear. The same thing all over again. So I'm not a big fan of that. I don't buy it. I try not to support it just because I'm bored with it. I'm ready for something new. What can we do? Um, I mean, the first thing is, what can we do as fans that are so used to watching and reading these characters that have been in our bedrooms and our basements since we were kids, reading Spider-Man, reading um, Superman reading X-Men for me. Um, I mean, what can we do to, to move on to embrace and look at refreshed new characters and support and buy those comics? You basically answered it yourself, just support and buy. You know, it's not like brain surgery, you know? Like, as long as you continue, I'm not, you know what, this is a very loaded question, because if I was to go yeah. too far to one spectrum, mm-hmm. I'd be taking money out of someone's pocket, and I don't want to do that, mm. you know, but. No, imagine the conventions we go to, as you walk past people, you have to support other creators. I stand at conventions where people ask me, the men ask me, are you holding the table for your boyfriend? Mm. Or, oh, did you, did you draw this? Did you draw this? I'm still proving that I'm drawing what's in my portfolio. Or even better, oh, I'm just not a fan. I'm not a fan. Oh, I've never enjoyed this. But don't tell me you want new and you don't support new. You won't even try it. You're going to ask, oh, do you have any Batgirl in your portfolio? No, I have my own characters. I don't, they don't need me to sell their work. I have to show my own work. And then when you do, nobody wants to see that. They only want to see what you've drawn before. I want to add one more thing, just real oh, real quick tangent. Also, besides gender bending and, and all of that and race bending, they also just, they started making characters gay all of a sudden, like Batgirl. You know, that was just like left field for me. Um, so I just wanted to put that point out there. They also play with people's or characters' sexuality. Right. I, that's very relevant. Can I jump in about the uh, marketing aspect of it real quick? Sure. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um what I I wrote a pod, uh, I wrote a blog piece about a year ago and I got in a lot of trouble for it, and it was called uh, Black Geek Stockholm Syndrome, and <laughs> basically we have all grown up under the same umbrella of pop culture as the main which we would call the mainstream society because we are the mainstream society, so a lot of times it's hard for black fans. I'm not making excuses. I just know what's what the deal is. A lot of folks just won't go outside of the umbrella of what's familiar and take a chance on black independent creators. As I said earlier, I had a documentary filled of with black independent creators of pop culture, including graphic novels. I have a blog page with almost 200 entries of black independent material. That's absolutely amazing. And it's just really tough to get, the African-American or even Latino fan base to take a chance on something they don't actually know what it is. And it sucks because what they are asking for, we've already created. 
you know. So it's like, you know, they're they're walking through the desert, and meanwhile we're an oasis, and they'd prefer to stay in the desert, <laughs> so to speak. And the other side of that is the marketing side at conventions. I, I've been going to conventions since 1991, if I'm dating myself. And sometimes the independent creator just sits there at their booth with their arms crossed. Mm. Like they have to start talking. I mean, even me, like I've been at the booth and I had to remember that I need to engage people. There have been times when I've went up to independent booths and the folks were just standoffish and cruel and mean, mm-hmm. like they didn't want my money. And I'm just like, well, fuck you. Excuse me. I'm sorry. But I'm just oh. like, <laughs> you. if like, if you can't be nice to me, then I'm not going to spend my money. Like I, mm. I went to the very first New York Comic Con in 2005, and I was walking around trying to do interviews with independent creators with my podcast, right? And I was trying to give independent creators some shine, and because I guess I was black and male, they just assumed, well, this is just some dumb nigga who's going to bother me and not buy anything. Oh. And I'm telling you, that's the vibe I got from black people. I'm not talking about white folks. I'm not talking about white folks. I'm talking about black people. Like I tried, I went to black booths specifically to put them in my podcast, which is called writing for rookies. And cats did not want to talk to me. They was just like, well, you know, are you basically, are you going to buy anything? And I'm like, sometimes I would have bought something if you talked to me, you know, (laughs) but the trick is, um, sometimes free marketing is worth selling a hundred copies because sometimes free marketing equals a hundred copies sold, you know? And I think that there needs to be a more open and non-judgmental approach on both sides because right. the independent creator has to be open to their own people. Like, I don't know what happens these days with black folks. It's like <laughs> black people really hate themselves. You know, it seems like like the the self-hate in the African-American community is not only well documented, but it persists. Yes. And I think Mm -hmm. that's something that's not ever. I've never heard this discussed on a panel, on a podcast, nothing. It's like we hate ourselves. We hate our own image because we've been I'm not trying to become Malcolm X or nothing, but we've been forced (laughs) to worship at an altar of a God that doesn't look like us. And I don't mean necessarily Jesus Christ. I mean, pop culture gods, whether we're talking about Captain Kirk or Captain Picard, like cats hate on Captain Sisko using Star Trek as a metaphor, you know, but it's like, yo, Captain Sisko saved the Federation. He don't get the same love as Kirk or Picard, you know, Mm -hmm. and Janeway, you know, I don't know what she did other than lose her ship. But the point is like, when we talk about, heroes we're not we very rarely have any black people or people of color or even women to discuss so of course we're we're hardwired to like to want our fiction to look like lord of the rings racially speaking we're hardwired for that so it doesn't shock me when we don't get the response we want to get from our own people because if we had because black folks just african-americans in the u.s generate 1.1 trillion dollars a year that's that's a fact 1.1 trillion if we had one one thousandth of that, we would never be poor again. We'd all be able to buy like houses. You know what I'm saying? So th- th- there's a cognitive dissonance between the creator and the marketplace. And I don't know how to fix that. Right. Can right. I say something? Sheena. Yes. Yes. Uh, just um bouncing off of what, what Brandon just said about that cognitive dissonance, that mental discomfort with Basically trying something new or or trying this, you know, independent comic series that's awesome, that's created by an African-American. I think part of it, like Brandon said, is the marketing. So the money behind it. You know, if you have money, you can you can place value on a product, on a character, and people are at least going to try it out. But I think 
The other part, too, is the social aspect of it. So for the comics that I like, one of the comics I'm reading is Afrocentric by Jules Smith. I can't talk about that that comic with anyone because nobody really knows about it. But I can talk about Spider-Man and Superman all day um, because people know about those things. Those are, you know, those are the characters that are in the movies. Those are the characters that people see. Those are the characters that we can have conversations um, about. So I think that's also one issue, too. If you don't have money behind it, you can't get a large amount of people to consume your product and then have a social, that, that social aspect and conversation about it. I think that's why it's so important to have podcasts like this so we can be privy um, to some of those those comics that are out there and have conversations with other people about it. Yeah, I'd like to, um, as Jimmy Robinson, uh, what Jamie was saying was what can fans do and all that, and uh, also spinning off what Brandon's saying and all. Um, we have to also keep in mind that you, as Brandon says, we're, we're walking in, you know, in the oasis and the people rather be in the desert. The, the fact is in the comic industry, I'm not going to speak for a lot of the other industries, but with the comic industry, the retailers are a type of wall that you must get yep. by. Right. If you don't get the retailer to order your book, no one will ever see it on a shelf in the first place. So as fans, what we could do is talk to our retailers and say, I'm interested in this kind of book. Because our retailer is just going to continue ordering Marvel DC and whatever few image titles that, you know, that they really like or have heard, have heard of. I mean, most retailers will, will look, actually look at something if they've heard about it. The mm-hmm. thing is, well, there's not enough people of color asking about books of people of color. <laughs> so fans and, re- and supporters and readers should get out there and actually the people they need to talk to are the retailers who order the books that get on the shelves and then can thus create, you know, a, an open platform that not only those who like that book, but other people might see something on the shelf. I mean, that's a really slow process of getting it, but this is something that has to be tackled on multiple fronts. And one of the fronts I don't hear very much about is, you know, what to do about the retailers, which, you know, I will say pretty much predominantly white. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, well, there's not there's not many black comic book store owners out there. So, you know, it's, <laughs> we, we need to talk to them and let them know like, they, I'm interested in this. Why don't you carry it? Well, Period. that's the cultural gatekeeping that takes place in the comics industry. What Brandon is talking about um, mm-hmm. and what our other guests are talking about. First of all, we can't even as writers, we can't even, you know, get employed. Um, and then we have to deal with the retailers who we walk into a comic book store and won't even consider to put our book on the shelf. That's that's the cultural gatekeeping of the industry. That's really problematic for creators. You also have to consider prejudice. Uh, as When I was in SoulCon, I was speaking with a few individuals. They was talking about Bitch Planet, a female that was on a panel I was uh, watching or, or listening into. She mentioned how she stepped into the comic book store. And she wanted to grab Bitch Planet, but before she even physically made her way in that direction, the comic book store owners, at least one of them, she said there was two, and one of them were were cool, and the other one was, um, you know, just very negative. And so the negative store owner whispered to the the first person and said, oh, I bet she's going to get Bitch Planet, you know, solely based on the fact that she's a female. And yes, she did wind up getting it, but... You know, all of that that came before was unnecessary, you know. So it's like you you put content out there hoping to, you know, help 
act as a vehicle for change that you want to see, but you have to deal with prejudice, not just from the audience, but from, from retailers, not all retailers. Right, right. This is just one specific story I'm using, you know, mm-hmm. and we don't know what's in people's minds and, and, you know, what they think. Cause a lot of people will smile in your face and, yeah, yeah. you know, still carry their, their preconceived notions, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, um, it's a very thorny path. The only thing we can do is stay vigilant and be, I'm going to end it there because I don't want to go into a left field <laughs> spectrum. <laughs> yeah. But you, you have to deal with that kind of prejudice. Hey, I want to read Bitch Planet. I didn't know about it before. I seen that SoCon. I was like, man, this look cold. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great comic, by the way. Love it. It's one of my favorite yeah, it ones. Is. I enjoy it. And and Jimmy, you're right. I, I just wanted to um, comment on the retailer aspect of it. Um, right before we went to broadcast, we were talking briefly about Storm. And when Storm first dropped, because I got I got into comics by way of the X-Men. And Storm mm-hmm. is my favorite um, mm-hmm. comic book superheroine of all time. So when they announced the solo comic, I was on it. When I went to my local comic book shop, they only had like five copies in the store. <laughs> Meanwhile, Cyclops had his own solo. And there were tons of Cyclop comics all over the store. Um, So it it just really bugged me that uh, there just wasn't enough. And then um, also one thing that we should mention is that people should look to pull lists and request those when you want to get comics that you want, especially comics that feature, you know, the characters that you like. Um, So, yeah, it's a problem. And I, I don't know if that's the reason why Storm got canceled, if there just, you know, wasn't obviously there wasn't enough people buying them. But it, it seems like that's been a problem to, to find enough of those issues in the local comic shops. Right, right. I agree. So um, I want to ask this question because we're getting towards the end of the hour um, to each of you to ask this question. So we'll go in this order. We'll start with Jimmy, Aletha, <laughs> Dr. Howard, Brandon, Ashley. Um, okay. I want to ask, what advice do you have for a budding artist, we've got a lot of people listening in right now that are comic book creators um, that are putting out their own content that are even going to uh, New York Comic Con this week. What advice do you have for a budding artists that's interested in working in the comics industry? Um, hmm. <laughs> I know it's uh, another loaded question. <laughs> yeah, it is because as, as we've been discussing, you know, which part of the comic industry, you know, do you want to do mainstream? Then, you know, there's a song and dance you might have to do. If you want to do independence, then you get to do your song and dance, but you might be drowned out. So, you know, uh, I, I say just do the work, uh, which is a mantra a lot of writers and uh, artists use. Uh, just do it anyway. Do it as if, do your work as if somebody already did order it, bought it. And, uh, you know, don't wait for somebody to give you permission to do it. So, uh, you know, sit down, draw, sit down, write, or both, whatever, and put it out there. Uh, you can put it online for free. You can do Comixology. You know, you can do Lulu. Uh, you can do your print-on-demand, sell it to conventions. You can do whatever. But you must do it first. So, yeah, instead of waiting for permission, my advice is to simply do it. I literally uh, just do it. I, I, I hear people talk a lot but I don't see everybody always doing something. <laughs> so yeah, that's my advice. Mm-hmm. Well, for me, I would add to that because it's the same advice I always give to everyone because it was given to me when I first came into the country by a writer who came to visit our school 
and after like my career day programs, and he said that you write every day, you write whether you're sick or well, and you plan to write on your deathbed. I translated that into art for myself. I draw every day. I draw whether I'm sick or well, and I intend to draw on my deathbed. That's my retirement plan, by the way. And what that meant to me is to build stamina, to build your discipline, and most importantly, to get five sequential pages of artwork ready in your portfolio, complete, shows that you can do this thing. You have to put that out. You have to have a thick skin and be ready for the slings and arrows because they're coming. No one is going to accept you on face value. Everyone is looking to doubt you immediately. So you have to be strong within your core before you step one foot out that door and open that portfolio and show anyone else. Is it my turn? Yes. I can't remember the order. <laughs> Dr. Howard. Okay. Um, so after you do the work, it's very important that you make connections. And I know that might sound cliche, um, but you have to make connections. Your talent can get you to the door, but it won't get you through the door. And anybody you talk to who's won an award or who has been able to write um, you know, for a, a big name company or, or get a, an opportunity that's amazing. They've connected with people. They've met people. They've stayed in touch with people. They've made an impression on people. They've looked up from their tables um, and interacted with people and stayed in touch. Um, so you have to make, make connections. You have to know people. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Oh, it's my turn? Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, <laughs> We're uh, listening. <laughs> I'm listen- uh, okay. Well, first, every everything everybody said before me is absolutely true. I'm going to add something to that because I, I turned 41 this year and life looks a lot different on the other side of 40. And I'll say this much. Be extremely careful how you treat people on the way up or on the way in. Right. Um, there are people who don't forget there are people who hold grudges. There are people who never, who, who will always remember how someone treated them when they first got in. So, you know, you're going to be told no, but you don't need to be told no with an attitude. You know, <laughs> uh, you're going to be rejected, but there's constructive criticism, rejection, and there's the rejection from a jackass. You know, there's a very specific way of being political and not offending everyone you're going to have to work with because this is a very incestuous industry in the sense that there's not a whole lot of people working in it. You know, when you really do the math, like there's really not. So you got like one writer doing five or six books, you know, and then, you know, you you just do the math. There's not a whole lot of folks out there. So ultimately just be careful how you treat people because networking is important and you don't want to alienate people who would be your allies down the path. Because you're going to need help and you're going to need people to hold you up when you fall. And I don't care if you're black, white, Latino, Native American, gay, straight, lesbian, whatever, whoever you are, just, you know, just, just be a cool person. You know, there, there's a lot of value in not being a jerk to people. Uh, you know, Aaron Sorkin, who some people don't like, he once said there's three things that can give you a career. Being really talented, being well-liked, and being on time. Two or three of those will get you a career. And I would say being well liked is probably the one you can't miss out on. Absolutely. I have to follow in behind all of these wonderful educated people. So so <laughs> I so I won't regurgitate what has already been said. 
I just want to piggyback off of the whole being authentic type uh, of a point. You know, be authentic. Don't suck up to people because people can see right through that. You will not get respect if you put yourself out there like that. You know, understand that things take time. Most importantly, be patient with yourself. Uh, As Brandon said, uh, be good to people. Um, That's what got me to this point now. Uh, I never... I shouldn't say I never thought I would be at this stage in my career, but I didn't expect it to hit when it did. But it did because of the culmination of, of events or experiences I had where I was good to people just for the sake of being good to them. I didn't know back in January at BCAF who David Walker was. You know, he writes Shaft and Cyborg. And I just, you know, I'll talk to anybody, you know. And that's how I got connected with David. Now, granted, we didn't, you know, bond until much later, but that was the initial, you know, meeting. Um, I just want to close it out with Gray Williamson because he's my mentor. He's been my mentor for almost 10 years. And he told me to be quiet about that or not really put it out there. I don't care. I'm proud of it. You know, he's a great artist and he's a great human being. And I want to end my point on this quote, protect your neck, how you protect your neck, exercise your common sense. I know common sense isn't common, but how do you gain common sense? Just don't act a fool. You know, don't say anything to somebody that you want to say to your mama or someone that you respect. And that's about it. Just be about your, if you don't know what to do, because I'll admit there were, there were times where I lost my way and I didn't know what the next step, step uh, was. I knew whatever happened, I could come back to my work because my work will always be consistent and faithful to me because I was faithful to it. You know, if you get an idea, you know, from God, the creator, the universe, what have you, if you believe in anything, you know, even if you want to say it came from yourself or a higher sense of yourself, you know, when you have an idea, I don't care if you sleepy, you wake up or you get up out that bed and you jot it down on whatever, even if you got Put it on the wall. Make sure it's dry erase. I don't know. It can get off, you know. But the point is, you know, get it out, you know, because if you deny your creativity and you don't honor that, then it's going to stop coming, you know. So like Alita said, be disciplined. And like, you know, Brandon said, you know, be good to people and and also uh, network, you know, the whole nine. So, yeah. Nice. I mean, people are actually, I I can tell when people are just absorbing what everybody's saying, because nobody's really asking questions. They're just (laughs) repeating your comments and they're really taking in a lot of what you're saying. So thank you so, so much. Um, Before we wrap up, I just want to give you guys the opportunity to shout out any current projects you're working on, your websites, your Twitter handles. Um, So we'll go in the same order, Jimmy, Aletha, Dr. Howard, Brandon, and Ashley. Uh, yeah, just find me on social media by my name. I don't have any cute names. It's just Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy Robinson, you know, Facebook, Jimmy Robinson, Twitter, Jimmy Robinson, Tumblr, Jimmy Robinson, uh, you know, stuff like that. Uh, uh, I'm working on right now, like I said, power lines be out March 16th. So, uh, uh, March 16th, March 2016. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, that's roughly where I am right now. So, yeah. No, I think I have. Come on. Hello? Hello? Uh, oh, your signal's dropping a little bit. Why? No. Okay, you sound better. Okay, good, good www.eric.com. I'm Elisa Martinez, Eric Storm on Twitter, Facebook, everything else. 
and my own projects need love, so I would love to see people come on down to me. If you're coming to New York Comic Con, my table I'll be selling my Yumi and Ever, but mostly pushing forward this year. So I would love to tell people about that and get people to look at my book. That would be wonderful. And, of course, Little Peanut Butter Joe's, my son and I, because we work very hard on our own stuff, as hard as I do on stuff for other people. So, And also, I can't forget the Women in Comics Super event, event on October 6th at 530 at La Casa Azul. I have artwork hanging up there in that gallery as well. And, Aletha, can you repeat the table number again at New York Comic Con? H15. All right. And Dr. Howard. Yes, I am currently working on my first documentary. I'm producing and editing. It's called Remixing Colorblind. Uh, The focus is how higher education shapes our perception of race. I'll be talking about the documentary this month at the University of Pittsburgh. Um, The title of the presentation is called uh, uh, Remixing Colorblind, Race, Education, and Opportunity. The trailer should be out uh, any day now. You can follow me on Twitter at Dr. Sheena Howard. Uh, You can find me at my webpage, SheenaCHoward.com. I'm also on Facebook at Sheena C. Howard. All right, I have a couple of things on the horizon. First and foremost, there's eight, season two of Marvel's Agent Carter, which will be coming on sometime in January during Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s hiatus on ABC Network. Um, I have a couple of graphic novels. on. Uh, first of all, I'm sorry we didn't really get a chance to talk about the Joshua run, but it was created by a f- comedian, actor, Flex Alexander, and it's kind of a cross between War Games and Enemy of the State. It's a cyber thriller. Uh, it's packed with black folks. It's coming out from Lion Forge Comics, which is actually a black-owned and operated comic book company. Um, I have another book coming out in about a week or two called Bad Moon Rising, which is coming out from Michael Bay's new entertainment company, which is 451 Entertainment. Bad Moon Rising is like a cross between Sons of Anarchy and American Werewolf in London. Uh It'll be coming out very soon. And the third and the biggest graphic novel event that I have going on is the Andre the Giant book biography that I wrote. That's It's called Andre the Giant Closer to Heaven. It's coming out from IDW and Lion Forge Comics on, uh, at the third week of November, I believe, before Thanksgiving. And all of that stuff you can find on my Facebook page, which is Facebook slash Brandon.Easton. I'm also on Twitter at Brandon Easton. And uh, yeah. That's about it. Okay, well, I just currently wrapped up uh, Niobe issue one, so I'll be working on Niobe two uh, starting next week. And uh, we'll also be sell Stranger Comics will also be selling Niobe goodies and, and the um, New York Comic Con special edition version of the of the first issue with the variant cover by Hyung Tak Nam. If anybody plays video games, Hyung was the lead character designer for The Last of Us, which is a zombie game on PS3 and PS4. Um, besides Niobe, I'm also working with publisher Rosarium Press, which is owned by Bill Campbell. And so Bill, uh, myself, and John Jennings are working on a psychedelic sci-fi action uh, type story called Bad Mothers. And it was written by Bill. I'll be providing the line art. John will be providing the colors. And so I'm projecting that may be available either at the end of this year or early next year. 
and um, I have a host of other projects uh, lined up for the next few months, but I'll just mention these two since those are the most, uh, you know, recent ones. Oh, also one more note. Uh, if you want to find Stranger Comics, uh, our booth at New York Comic Con is 2238. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on our show tonight. I really thank appreciate you. it. Uh, thank you. We thank learned you so much. Us. Yes, thank you. I, and I'd love to do a part two to this because obviously there was a lot to cover. <laughs> <laughs> um, but thank you for coming on. And guys listening in, there will be no podcast next week because we'll be at New York Comic Con. So check out the blackgirlnerds.com website for updates on that and all of the announcements made at the beginning of the show. Um, I hope you'll be able to make it out and participate. So thanks for tuning in and uh, see you guys in two weeks. Bye. Bye. Take care. Bye. 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 Thank you. Finally, I'm finally free.